Welcome to the Journey of an Aesthete podcast, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. Well, that's the nature of human life, right? Itself. That's for sure. So, <laughs> so this is Journey of an Aesthete. And I can't say enough how excited I ha- am to have the great Jane LaCroix on my show. <laughs> what was that? Jane LaCroix, I'm going to say a little bit about how I first met you. Is that okay with you? Yes. So I met you through a poem, and one poem in particular. Okay, and I and so I would like you to introduce yourself by way of the poem. My manifesto. Your manifesto, which actually changed the way I looked at looked at some things in reality. My controversial manifesto that my husband's not a fan of. Um, sure. I don't know about all that, but I guess we could talk about it. But, uh, is this the pioneer of love? Is that what it, what it yeah, is? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's what you're talking about. That's the yeah. poem that we met through. Correct. Yeah. So I'm going to be, I'm going to go on, on, on record here. Um, do you know, do you know, uh, uh, George Herbert's love? Um, my, my soul, love baby, welcome. My soul drew back, you know, all yes. these classical John yes. Dunn. Your poem is actually in line with those folks, believe it or not. Yes. It's in line with all those great, that particular kind of writing about love. Yes. Which which is different than some other ways you can do it, right? I mean, it's different than sort of a pop song or different. Um, Absolutely. But but I want you to, we're going to go in a different way. You're going to perform the poem. And then we're going to, and then after that, we're going to do the biography and maybe uh, do some selections together. How do you feel about that? Um, that sounds great to me. All right, so Jane LaCroix, what is the name of this? It's Pioneer of Love? It's How to Be a Pioneer of Love. It's, it's how a how-to be... poem. Okay, take it away, Jane. Yeah. All right. How to Be a Pioneer of Love. Expand the heart. Love more. Practice love in secret. Publicly proclaim love. Love as much as you can. Do whatever it takes to experience love. Say yes to love every time it offers itself to you. Take Cupid's poisonous arrows. Incorporate that poison into everything you do. Reject belief in a limited capacity of the human heart. Never try to own another. Never let yourself be owned. Worship and adore as many as you can. Open your body and mind to lovers. Suffer the consequences. Hmm. Keep yourself away. Cry, laugh, orgasm, 
act on your dreams. Reject the impossibility. Revel in the rebellion. Tear apart the fabric of society. Recognize your broken heart. Accept pulverization. Accept failure and loss and triumph. Break more. Fail more. Lose more. Triumph more. Live in love until there's nothing left of you. Write all the love letters you can. Seduce, 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 and be seduced. Conduct the electricity that is the life pulse. Don't deny yourself earthly pleasures. Give yourself permission to love to death because we are all going to die and before we die, we can love. Fall in love often, stumble, trip, crush. Even though it beats you the hardest, breaks you, leaves you in shambles. All we have are shambles. Everything is an illusion. So what? Then illusions are enough. Love mortifies you. It enslaves and sets you free. You will rise again. Practice rejecting possessiveness. Banish jealousy. Try and try. Loving adds more meaning to every action every day. It makes every hour worth more than 60 minutes. Fit more living into your life by playing on the frontier of love. Be shot down and destroyed. Be exalted and praised. You cannot protect yourself, even if you live hiding. You will suffer the consequences of love. So just stand up and love. There is a math and physics beyond this defined realm. There are no maps, save what your lover's hair draws upon your skin, ever changing, roads and cities shifting like the surface of the unknowable ocean. Let this terrify you. Be terrifying. Join this army. Set examples on fire. Well, that is Jane LaCroix, How to Be a Pioneer of Love, correct? Correct. Yes. That's a fantastic poem, and I, and I hope that it inspires people. Um, I hope so, too. I feel like our current definition and expectation of romantic love is destructive to love and mm -hmm. to... Um, partnerships in general. Mm -hmm. So um, on that note, um, did you want to, so we can, so while well, we're on the subject of that poem, so I heard that poem and then I wanted to find out more about you, correct? Yes. And then we started doing projects when we could. Yes. Um, but do you, which do you want to do? Do you want to go back to your biographical beginnings in terms of how you started to write poetry like that? or how you came to, to write like you do, um, I mean, you're very prolific. You have a, you have a very quick, you're very, um, you write a lot, and uh, you're, you're very prolific. And so, you know, you're not somebody that doesn't have a, a, a considerable output. Yes, which might well, be I use hmm. writing to navigate the chaos that is life, that is the human experience. The way I process my experience hmm. and create sense out of the raw material of my days is through writing is from arranging it on the page. Uh -huh. I don't believe that you need to suffer in order to make great art. Right. But I do believe that 
great art is the best we can make of our suffering. Mm -hmm. So all the difficulties of life that I face, that's not unique, that all humans face, Mm -hmm. not, you know, I don't think that I am unique in my experience Mm -hmm. of hardship or life or love. Um, that is, that's life. That's what it is to be a person. That's what it is for, Mm -hmm. you know, our, our minds to interpret the world around us. Mm -hmm. And then how are we going to make sense of all of it? Mm -hmm. How are we going to give meaning? You know, people are pattern seeking creatures needing meaning. Mm -hmm. How are we going to do that? You know? And, um, for me, it's writing. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that makes a lot of sense, but um, I guess I was wondering, did you want to discuss the biographical part or talk about yourself currently? Because you, ha- you have two bands, correct? Yes, so Alm Slice and The Icebergs. The Icebergs and Alm Slice, and they're very different in style, right? Yes. So um, Alm Slice is more abstract or experimental? Yes, Alm Slice is definitely abstract and experimental. It's spelled Ohm, O-H-M, Slice. Like mm-hmm. slice of pizza, and it's huh. one word. Uh-huh. And ohm, it's the the symbol for you know measuring resistance, and that's the ohm I'm referring to. Okay. And of course, it's also a play on words of home slice, right. and also ohm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's definitely right. a play on all those things. But um, right. it's it's fun and very philosophical. And the thing that's different about it from the icebergs, above all else, is that it's an improvisational based project our songs are improvisations bradford reed Mm -hmm. um, an instrument maker on our first record conduit he's playing modular synth on um the next record that we're working on now he's playing the instrument he invented and is very famous for the pencilina which is kind of like a percussion and stringed instrument a little bit similar to a hammered dulcimer but has much more literally bells and whistles on it and um uh you know, unique sounds that are you know, just, he invented this amazing instrument. You know, you can see it on YouTube and, you know, here are, we have a, at omslace.net, mm-hmm. you can see videos and stuff and hear songs. And then, you know, all I, Imaginator Records puts out my music. I'm really lucky to work with a really great label who supports my projects. And, um, that, uh, you know, Imaginator Records put out Conduit and, my record from the icebergs and the icebergs is much more like a traditional band in terms of it's more it's more like a rock band at least that's my yeah experience it's more like it. a rock band it's like post-punk it's uh-huh. a power trio um i'm really inspired like i think it's like the police and the violent femmes and that's those right. like powerful three-piece that's b- right. bands i mean i that's how i hear it and i really want to uh, make a, a mention of tom abs yeah, um, he's a really, Abs, really good instrumentalist. Husband. You're what? He's my musical husband. Your musical husband like, and, and the drummer. I, I consider him like a husband because we've been together since college, and mm-hmm. our relationship is so intense, and we're mm-hmm. so dedicated to each other, and we've almost gotten divorced lots of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyone who's been in a band knows how similar to a marriage a band is, but um. Yeah, so Tom Abs and I have been making music together since we were in college in the early 1990s. We've had lots of different bands, um, but the consistent thing is me and him. 
So he is a multi-instrumentalist. When I first met him, he was mostly playing upright bass, mm-hmm. and he would tie a didgeridoo to it. And we had this band called Transmitting, and it was mm-hmm. really a duo. He had percussion toys on his feet, the didgeridoo tied to his upright. And we made um, a few great records out of that band. And then we expanded and tried to do something more mainstream and added Jeff Mann as a drummer. Mm -hmm. But before that, we worked with Chad Taylor. Mm -hmm. And before that, we worked with Jerry Kallstedt. We were going through lots of drummers because I think the relationship between me and Tom is so intense that Mm -hmm. it gets exhausting for that third band member or whatever. So we had a bunch of different versions of ourselves, and I'm really proud of all of them. And oh yeah, I, I made I, like ten records. I really, I really agree. I mean, you're, who, Dave Barry is your drummer, correct? David Rogers Barry. David Rogers Barry. Yeah. Right now, we actually have a different drummer because oh. um, okay. New York City. You know, it's really expensive to live here, mm. and David Rogers Barry was like forced mm. out for. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, and well, I've, just, I've been there. I know about that. But but um so so he's in he's yeah. in Maine. He actually yeah. produced this last record, Excellent. and he um is on half of it playing drums. And we love working with him, but we can't really do shows with him anymore because he lives in Maine. So I think maybe that you and I should do a show right now, this minute, right? Okay. Do you want to do the piano poem? You wrote this beautiful poem about about being a pian- about piano. Yeah, well, it's an epistolary poem which mm-hmm. is a poem written in the form of a letter. Mm-hmm. It's a form of address. Mm-hmm. And this is a love letter to my favorite instrument, the piano. Yeah. So it takes that form of a letter. So I want to make sure that you hear this piano. How does that sound to you? Beautiful. Yeah. So I'm going to play a little bit under you. We're going to do it, I guess, as if we were... We're going to perform it now as if we were performing in concert, right? Yes. And we are in concert. Yes. I mean, concert physical, you know, a physical concert, like an auditorium or a club. So do you want to... The concert of the pixels and the um, waves going through space. We're we're digitizing our form so that we can do a performance on the virtual stage. I guess that's what we're doing. Yeah, so it is. It's a real concert. Thank you for being here with us today, folks. Yeah, yes. Or tomorrow, because that is the nature of a recording, is that it will also be in the future. But right now, where we are, it is being born. But when you hear this in the future, it will be being born for you, or maybe even repeated. But once it was first, this is the first time. This is the first time. So we're going to do, you're going to announce the title, and you're going to start reciting your poem that you wrote. Correct. And I'm going to, something's going to come out of my piano, so we'll see. Yes. All right. I'm ready when you are. Do you want me to start? Yes. Dear Piano. how big and beautiful you are. I love your sound. You are strings. You are percussion. So heavy you can't be carried around. 
You have a crazy shape that gets you special treatment and piano. My favorite thing about you is that you create the impulse to share. Usually, wherever you are, you belong to everyone. You invite everyone to play. You invite everyone to sit and move their hands all over your famous black and white keys and step on brass pedals. No one can resist touching you as they pass by. You make us all want to sing. You fill any room you're in. Out of a room, off of a stage, you make any landscape look surreal. I used to curl up under you at my grandma's house while she played you, and your voice made my whole body hum. I filled with your acoustic electricity. You are huge, but you can enter me, be through me, transport me. I used to curl up under your baby grand self when no one was playing you and feel your hollow weight. above me on those delicate legs. I'm sure I heard you breathing. Your smooth brass pedals cooled my hand. When I pushed them, you made a swallowing sound inside you, deep inside me. Even though it is impossible, I know we are in love. Even when you're upright, even spinette at school, you shake my whole body and give me piano. I want to learn how to do you right. You make me feel so good. Thank you, piano. Love, Jane. How did that feel to you? That was fun. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, that's it. So why would you just if somebody uh, didn't really exactly know what we were doing musically, how would you describe that that way of improvising? Uh, your, conversation. Your... Okay. Okay. So you would just see it as a conversation. Yeah, a conversation and. Like, you know, a, a, a union of uh, expression and exploration, mm -hmm. the way a conversation is, where you listen and add right. and question and challenge. Right. How I, would you describe it, Mitch? Um, I would describe it as, as actual, uh, some sort of musical poetry, I think. I'm not really, I'm not really sure. I mean, I guess I, um, in other words, my approach, so when I'm playing with you in this kind of context... My approach isn't that different than if I were playing behind a singer singing pitches, right? Even though you're reciting words, it's not pitched in that kind of way. Does that make sense? Yes. 
So that's that's kind of the idea. So I, I approach it with the same, I guess you might say, conscientiousness. You know, as if I were playing behind, I don't know. You know, in some alternate universe, if I was playing with Sarah Vaughn behind Sarah Vaughn or somebody, or you know, okay. or um, Linda Ronstadt, I'd play the same. What I mean is, I wouldn't play the exact same thing, but it's the same. So I approach it as a musical, musical and a poetic thing, right? Primarily, and I guess that's a conversation. I mean, you could say music's a well, conversation. I mean, like yeah. you, your question was more like, how would I characterize it? I mean. It is music and poetry. So, you know, I thought you were asking me to make more of a comparison, but I mean, Uh it is music and poetry. I mean, it's literally a poem and literally you making music and poetry is the music of language. Absolutely. So, I mean, that is what it is. It's, it's not like, you know, how I would characterize it, how I would characterize it would be more like. Uh, making an analogy for it, not stating what it actually is. You know what I mean? I mean, one of the things I would say about your work is that when you write about a subject, you really are comprehensive about that subject. You know, like this is the, this is the, this is the uh, poem for pianos. Um, Yeah. But I think you'll recognize the spirit of that poem is very similar to how to be a pioneer of love. I was just going to say that, that, which is also comprehensive. It's yeah, almost like it's ultimate about the same thing. It speaks mm-hmm. to a more polyamorous version of love mm-hmm. than the monogamous kind of thing we are, you know, saddled with in our society. Right. Now when you do a poem like that, so uh you know, a lot of people coming to your performances, they may not know anything about any of that. Right? They're just somebody coming in off the street to hear a poem, right? Yes. Right, so that's very interesting. So um, people might interpret it in different ways. Yeah, that's the, that's the most amazing part of art. Right, people might interpret it in different ways, and so they may not know all about your, your commitments or your philosophies. Right. They only know that experience of the actual words of that poem. Yep. So it's kind of a way of like uh, planting a seed, isn't it? Or kind of. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that is the magic of what art does. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I, I, I'm an atheist, mm-hmm. but you know, as an atheist, you know, people always put pressure on you. Okay. But if you could believe in God, what would God be? There has to be something yeah. like God in your life. You know, like people are always saying yeah. that, you know? Right. So I used to answer that question by saying nature, that nature is God. Yeah. But, uh, later in life, I realized that that was absolutely wrong. That mm. nature is actually the opposite of God. Because nature would exist without us. Without humanity, nature, the natural world, Mm. would still be on the planet. But art wouldn't. Art Um, is unique to creation, as is God. God would not be on Earth without humans. It's a human idea. It's Uh a human-centric idea. And it's... um, it's more similar to art. So, mm. so now I really believe that art is God. Uh-huh. And I'm really inspired by this philosopher, Jennifer Michael Hecht. Oh, yeah. Who, yeah, you know her. You even yes. got me one of her books. because I you know, did. I remember this. Now. I know. Thanks, Mitch. You're the best. Um, I just think that she's this brilliant woman who has such great ideas. Yeah. To, uh, like, uh, we're, we're growing out of... Uh, monotheism it doesn't suit us it is Uh not helpful 
it's used against us. And, uh, you know, there's nothing that's purely good or purely bad. And Uh those uh, definitions don't even help us to characterize things as good or bad. But monotheism is more destructive to the human experience than it is constructive. And, um, so that, so so that you would say that's one of your, um, because I remember when I first met, you had a list of uh, things about yourself um, about which you were very proud. Um, and I think one of them was, was free thinker, right? Um, that's what yeah. you, I think you described free thinking. And then the other is um, poet. Um, and you mentioned a couple other things in there, right? Teaching in the public. You teach poetry. You yep. taught poetry. I'm a teacher. You taught, I'm a but you taught. You're a humanist, and you taught poetry in the public. We're not a humanist, a hedonist. Hedonist. That's right. That's right. Hedonist. It's a long list of terms. So a mother. A mother. Hedonist. So, and you and you taught poetry in the public school system. Yeah, I do. Is, I do that. That's my job. That's remarkable. Yeah, I'm a poet in every way. I teach poetry. I write poetry. I sing poetry. Mm-hmm. My whole life is dedicated to the poetry gods. I serve the poetry gods. Right, which is why you're the ideal guest for Journey of an Aesthete, our uh, podcast. I love being an idea. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'll tell you some poetry. <laughs> so did you want to do another selection, like maybe Lifeguard? Or did you want to talk about more early biography or um, growing up with a rock and roll family or New York or or it's your it's your decision which direction you want to go in uh i'm trying to think of what would be most interesting to listeners right now right about now i think all Uh, of it would be interesting but okay (laughs) (laughs) thanks well uh i don't know maybe we could do lifeguard yeah yeah, Lifeguard. Uh, you know my favorite movie is Lifeguard. Yes. And you have not watched it yet. How long, How many years have I tried to get you to watch that movie from 1976? Uh, I'm just not a movie person. I know I don't you're not. With Sam Elliott. And it's, it's, I know. Yeah, it's it just sits there. I give you guys. It's there. I want to watch it. Yeah. You know, on my list. It's just I so rarely have like two hours of when course. I'm not exhausted. Yeah. Because like something about movies always puts me to sleep. Of I'm course, not, I'm right. like an audio type person. It's right. like, if you put me in a movie theater, it's like within 10 minutes. Don't get me wrong. I love, there's movies that really speak to me that I love. Well, I know you named your son after Luke Skywalker, correct? Well, not really. Oh, okay. I mean, my husband really named Luke. Oh, okay. So yeah. And Luke Skywalker is definitely, I wanted to name him Leaf. Leaf. But at the, at the last minute, <laughs> My husband stepped in and was like, no, I really like the name Luke. I want it to be Luke. And he was my third child. And, mm-hmm. you know, I pretty much, the, the first two, I, we, we're aligned with name choices. But with that right. last kid, I let Dorian pick it. Right. Well, so I, I, think we, I think we could do Lifeguard. And then after Lifeguard is a good way to go into your past because the Lifeguard's about your youth, correct? Or about your earlier years or whatever. Well, yeah. No. It's about now. I mean, oh, it is about now. Okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, it's about how I feel about you know. It's it's we have like an internal world, of course, yeah, that we live in, mm-hmm. and then there's the external world that we live in, and they are and never the twain shall meet. No, no never the twain shall meet. They're very different, you know. <laughs> and we yeah. participate in the outside world, yeah, and we, we have... live in the outside world, mm-hmm. but we 
are inhabiting the inside world mm -hmm. all the time. All the and time, there's, yeah. and this, this song is really about like how, what you are in your inside world pervades right. the outside world. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like we're just ghosts in the outside world, but we're just living in our inside world. Like these two very different mm -hmm. things just overlaid on each mm -hmm. other that do interact, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like, that's what this is about. So we have to pick a tempo and pick a, a key center, right? Yes. I believe it's, you, it's I believe it's interesting because mm -hmm. I, when mm -hmm. I speak, I can't hear you play, but it, I think it's okay. You can hear that? No. Yeah, because I'm not singing, but as soon as I sing, I ah. can't hear the piano. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. So, so um, it's going to be like a little rough. So this is, so I believe that you're... So we have to. Your life gone. We have to pick a tempo. So I'm just. I admit. Mm -hmm. I have a favorite. Okay. You are it. Can you get the tempo from that? Yeah, I'm gonna, but I'm gonna play a vamp in front. Yeah. Or, or is it? Or is um. Uh. Kander and Ebb, John Kander and Fred Ebb said vamped already. I think they said that. So. Yeah, yeah. Vamped already. So I'm gonna do that one. So. Across the vast ocean, your surfboard chariots over the waves, the right direction, your arms wave to the people you love you so. King of the beach, everyone knows you're king of the beach. Everyone knows you're king of the beach. Everyone knows. Night, 
I climb in your chair. I watch the moon rise like a pumpkin into the sky. To this chair where you're all soaked in, and it's touching my bare skin. Though no one knows it, I am queen. Though no one knows it, I am queen. Though no one knows it. I am queen. Lifeguard, I see you above looking over the beach out at the sea. Do you see me? Do you see me? want to drown so that you come out and be with me. Save me because I want your big muscles wrapped around me. It's like you're made of rope. It's like you're a man from the sea. It's like you're some kind of merman and I just want you to be with me. You're like God. Everyone knows you're king of the beach. Everyone knows Though no one knows it, I am queen. Though no one knows it, I am queen. Huh. Well. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you, Jane. That's a that's a real strong poem about um, one person's desire. Um, that's a good thing, you know? That's what we're made of, our desire. That's what we have. Right, but I mean, it's not, it's not ordinarily the case. Uh, I don't think always. I mean, we, we often think that poetry is about desire. But I think some poets can be a little coy or they may not. Um, True. They might not go into that territory. <laughs> Speaking of territory, you go to that territory fairly, again, comprehensively and fairly deeply. And uh, I really appreciate that. Thank you. And it's, uh, it's, it's actually easy to work with an artist that does that because then you can just go there and, you know. Well, I really appreciate your playing and the way you hear things and the way you present your imagination. Thank you. It's really, it's really great. So yeah, life, our little mutual fan club. Exactly. So Lifeguard, is, uh, does, so Lifeguard does partly go back to your, your childhood now or, or adolescence or... Well, I mean, like in terms of uh, it's, it's, uh, I've been going to the beach every summer my entire life, oh, you know, okay. and especially this one beach. And I always get crushes on the lifeguards right? because they're so sexy. I mean, sure. come on. They're like super in shape. They're tan, mm -hmm. you know, I'm from the seventies. I love tans. I still tan. You're from the seventies. Oh, it's not in style, but I still do it. I love it. And I love seeing people with tans. I love it. Mm -hmm. So you're definitely from 1973, right? Yeah, I'm from 1973. Yep, it was a an amazing time to be born. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, you know, post-civil rights, post the craziness of the 60s, all the good stuff of the 60s were sinking in. 
and it was before all the bad stuff of the, of the 80s, 80s. Right, right, right. We're rearing its ugly head. I see the <laughs> 70s as like this utopian moment mm-hmm. that's so beautiful and simple. And I, I think about, I, I mean, and of course I'm speaking from my own perspective, being a New Yorker, you know, mm-hmm. like living in New York in the yep. 1970s, yep. Uh, the whole world, different things were going on, you know? So I, you know, I am specifically speaking about being in New York state in the 1970s, post-civil rights, mm-hmm. pre-AIDS, um, you know, and my experience, mm-hmm. the, it, it was just like Sesame Street was born. You know what I mean? It, and yeah, that was, was based in, your, in New York City. And it was all about uh, tolerance and kindness. Mm-hmm. And that's and, and also pleasure. The 70s were, were about pleasure and, and finally accepting pleasure mm-hmm. uh, as like valuable. And that pleasure is wealth. You know, in the 1950s, everyone's like work, 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 you know. And that was what was well. That was what was considered wealth in the 50s, yeah. What was that? That was what was considered wealth in the 50s was working, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it was. You know, and it was finally we switched out of that to the 70s where you could define yourself beyond your job, beyond your work, based on your pleasure and what you enjoyed Mm -hmm. about the world and what you enjoyed Mm -hmm. about being human and how you made the world a better place for people around you, for kindness. And maybe this is like this utopian vision, but I was a child, mm-hmm. you know, my childhood, it, it, I, maybe it was, um, you know, idealistic as t- childhood should be, you know what I mean? Like you want to, to be a kid that's idealistic. It's like, that's joyous. That's mm. where our joy lies. You know what I mean? So, well, you know, I, uh, um, as a, as a child in New York city, I, I, I went, uh, I saw a Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, I saw all the rock operas at that time. Oh yeah. So actually, so ac- yeah. So and I saw the show Hair in nineteen yeah. seventy, I think. And uh, that was quite made quite an impression on me. Yeah, I absolutely. And I, I, even though you know I'm a little younger than you, mm-hmm. I grew up with those same yeah. stories. You know what I mean? Like that was Jesus Christ Superstar was. Mm-hmm played on my turntable by my parents constantly. They loved that. And in fact, their best friends were in the original cast. That's right. Um, they called it the Brown Album, right? Ted Neely? Yes. Did they call it the Brown? I think when I met Ted Neely, I was fortunate to meet Ted Le- Neely on my birthday, actually, five years ago. They were doing some kind of tour of Jesus Christ Superstar, and he called it the Brown Album. I don't know, I guess because it's a brown, chocolate brown record cover. Yeah, I totally remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the same thing with hair. I, yeah. It's uh, it, it it had I I I remember seeing that in the movie theaters even with the the smell card that it came with. Mm-hmm. So you know, and yeah, totally made huge impressions on me. Yep. Yeah, a a, a greater a, a larger world mm-hmm. that embraced idiosyncrasies and uh, diversity mm-hmm. and kindness. Ki- kindness as opposed to meanness. Yeah. And mm-hmm. as opposed to competition, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, the eighties we did shift into this more competitive way of existing. And, um, <laughs> yeah, 
it, it's a, uh, it's just not as fun. It's not as pleasurable. Mm-hmm. I, I maybe for some people, you know, I, but it's, there's not as much room in competition as there is in cooperation, in, in cooperation. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, you writing your first poems or how you, how you came to write them or speak them? Oh yeah. Them? Well, my, I was, a an early writer. I loved, I loved books. I had a house full of books. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents were really into, uh, records and books. Mm-hmm. My, the walls of my house were filled with books and records. Mm-hmm. My dad was a musician. Uh, my grandmother was very literary. Mm-hmm. Um, she was born in the twenties and came up in a time where, you know, women were still expected to like just be married and have children. And she mm-hmm. went as far as she could in terms of a professional life becoming a teacher. Mm-hmm. But I think if she were to live in a different time period, she would have been, um, that she would have been a, a, in politics or something like mm-hmm. that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, and she just, and she just brought a lot of like art to the world and art to, understanding the way the world worked. She was a totally amazing woman, Alice Savino. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, she totally inspired me and was also very religious. I was raised Mm -hmm. super Catholic. In Mm -hmm. fact, I was a teen pregnancy in a Catholic high school. My mom was pregnant with me. Ah. She was, you know, her senior year. So, um, so that is definitely part of my narrative. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, my grandma, because of being Catholic, I learned by heart lots of poems and songs as a child. And so my first things committed to memory were mm-hmm. definitely like, you know, the Our Father and the mm-hmm. Hail Mary and, you know, like a bunch of prayers. Mm-hmm. And I just always like loved having access to these blocks of text Mm -hmm. that could come out of my mouth. And I was just amazed by like, I would memorize these things and hear them differently, even though they were memorized, Mm -hmm. realize different things about them, like how alive they were and how Mm -hmm. every time I said them or thought about them, there was new stuff in them that they were so dynamic and it was so exciting to me. And I loved that. Like everything had this multiplicity to it. In writing, like you think you're trapping something by writing it down, but you're actually like opening it up and making right. it have so much more meaning, you know. I, and so I'd imagine, more- I'd imagine hearing you say that that that's a great deal of you becoming a poet. Then, yes, is memorizing, absolutely. memorizing these texts. Yeah, before yeah. I could write, and then I was really excited to write, and I, and uh, Gone with the Wind was a really big book on a low shelf in my house that Margaret I could Mitchell. reach. Yeah. And I I took that out and I started like copying the pages and my Mm -hmm. mom was like, what, what are you doing, Jane? And I I was like, I'm writing a book. I'm going to be a writer. And my mom laughed and she was like, oh, Jane, writers make up what they're writing. They're not copying things. And I just was so excited by that. I was Mm -hmm. like, what? I get to make it up myself. And I realized that all these things that I've been memorizing or what I read Mm -hmm. do come from an original place. They're not copied, but you know, like as a kid, I was learning poems and prayers mm. by doing what someone else did by repeating it. And so I thought that that's how writing worked. Mm-hmm. But then at that moment, I 
I all of a sudden realized, oh my God, I can write too. I can, I can just make this stuff up. And I, I, I said to my mom, that's so much easier. Mm-hmm. And then that began it. And I've like kept journals and have written poetry since I was six years old. Mm. Really, I should be much further along considering I'm almost 50, but. <laughs> what do you mean by further along? I mean, what, I guess you have, everybody has a yardstick and I don't know, I don't know your yardstick. I mean, like further to. along in my, uh, my reach, you know, like I've always want what, like I want my work, I want my work out in the world mm-hmm. and you know, I wish I had, I have one book on three rooms press that is of my songs. Um, mm. I have this book that Bookland published this chat book in their ABC chat book series mm. called names. My book from three rooms press is signature play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I should have 10 books. I've written enough that they, they mm. should be out there. You know? Well, I know um, you have a, you have a single that was released yesterday. Yes. Yep. So, t- so, so tell the audience about that single and where they can get it and what, you know, how they, yeah. So I have a record with my band, the icebergs mm-hmm. coming out in spring 2020. And mm-hmm. until then every month, pretty much I'm releasing a single. And last month I released fallen creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the other day I released Chelsea and you can get these on Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple, like mm-hmm. anywhere you listen to streaming music, you look up the band, the icebergs mm-hmm. and the, the name of this single that just came out is called Chelsea mm-hmm. and it is, uh, I'm going to read the blurb to it. Cause I think it sums it up perfectly. It's what David Rogers Berry, uh, the producer Producing. wrote about it. Okay. In Chelsea, frontwoman Jane LaCroix applies her hedonistic imperative to survival. We must persist in the twisted world that burns around us. Born from a text sent from a friend in the throes of a bitter divorce, this song teases out the silver lining from all pain. It is the second single from the Iceberg's forthcoming sophomore album, Ad Vice. The political climate demands we survive this dark time. We must crush the wave of fascism crashing down on the world. We have to maintain a joyous resistance, lest the bad guys win. Martin Philadelphia's guitar improvisation imbibes the song with a drunken determination. Hmm. So there it is. You wrote that synopsis, thankfully. No, well, David wrote that. Well, David wrote I, it. I think he did a great oh, job. Yeah, David like, Rogers yeah, that's Perry. exactly it, David. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, I, you know, my friend was going through a, a really intense divorce. Hmm. And she and her husband had separated, hmm. and um, a friend of hers let her stay in his apartment for a while in Chelsea. Hmm. That's where the title comes from. She was in hmm. Chelsea. And um, she sent me this text, and the text literally said, I love being in the flat in Chelsea. You must come sit on the patio with me. Hmm. Swept up the dirt and dying leaves. You'll be pleased. Mm-hmm. That was the text. And I couldn't help but notice the rhyme in it, the, the mm-hmm. internal rhyme. And it just was, it sounded like, I, I loved saying it. And that's how I start my songs is by... Mm-hmm the sound of these words will be musical to me and, mm-hmm. and her text stuck in my head and it was with me all day. And I just kept repeating it until the song emerged. And then, um, the song came out of that. And it's, it's the whole thing too. Like wherever we, you know, she wanted me to 
she wanted me to come over and like smoke with her and drink with her and yeah. basically forget forget the world and still exist. Yeah. Despite the horror, like you know, everything sucks. So so many wars are going mm-hmm. on. So many people are being hurt. Yeah. So like it's it's like it's terrible. But but it's like you can't think about that all the time or you will die. You won't be a help. Mm-hmm. Poetry is resistance. Uh-huh. And we must write our way out of this. We ha- it's like we have to find a way to make beauty despite the horror and to serve the beauty and crush the horror. Mm-hmm. You know, poetry is a rebellious act. And I really feel like my work is political and a political act. Yeah. And, you know, I've dedicated my life to changing the world. I work with children. Mm-hmm. I empower them. I'm someone who's out in the world empowering people to make the world the kind world, mm-hmm. a kind of world that mm-hmm. they want to be in and be agents of kindness and bring about help for one another instead of competition with one another. It's like there's, there's, we, we live in such an exciting time. We have all these problems, but we actually have all the solutions to the very problems we have. You know, it's, it's like, there's not these mysterious forces killing us that we have no control over. Mm. It's not like that anymore. It's not the plague. That's Mm. not what we're suffering from anymore. We're not suffering from that. We are suffering from problems we are creating ourselves and problems that we can solve ourselves. Mm. We really can fight global warming by planting trees, by changing our habits, by impacting capitalism so that it doesn't create so much waste. This is possible. We can do this. Mm. It's not this impossible thing. We have changed the world and we can change the world. I'm really excited, you know, like Greta Thunberg and so many, like there's just so much activism that's happening to empower people and just the juxtaposition between the spirit of the country and the world that I really feel Mm -hmm. in my students, in Mm -hmm. my work, Mm -hmm. uh, in other people's work around me. I feel like we're fighting so hard for so much beauty. It's so strange that the, the powers that exist in government right now, and Mm -hmm. not just in the United States, but like all over the world are these totalitarian fascist regimes. And it's, it's like, we have to get rid of them. We want to get rid of them. And it's just a matter of time, but we need to like act fast. Mm. You you need to get out there and be voting and be having these conversations, talking to each other. And, and uh, like, I I can get so depressed. There's people in Mm. my family that are, you know, that just don't, don't see the world the way I do. And, you Uh know, we all are going to see things differently, but we have to like make room for each other to exist Mm. without hurting one another. You know, abortion has to be legal. Right. You know, it just has to be. That's, that's, it changed the world so much yeah. once women could control their bodies like right. that. You know, there's just huh. so many simple things. You know, we, we have to face the educational crisis in this country. The solution 
is smaller classes. That's mm-hmm. all it is. And mm-hmm. that makes jobs. It's good for economics. And we need more schools. And that's building. It's like this very simple solution. It's not a bunch of tests. It's not a bunch of technology. It's just more teachers with less kids. And it's, it's, it's just, um, well, that's something that you know about, I mean, as an expert more or less, because, uh, because you've been teaching for so many years, right? And so you're, you're actually in the trenches or you're in, you know, so you know about all about what it is to teach. Yeah. Um, and also another thing you know about is being a mom, right, and having a family. Yep, I have three kids. You have three kids, and so you're able to integrate all that with your poetry and with your um, – uh, so did you want to talk a little bit about that or talk about um, River Eel or – I don't know. I don't know what comes to I, mind. <laughs> uh, you know, so I came from – Nyack, New York, yep. in Rockland County, yep. outside of New York City. Um, it, it is very close to the city, but mentally and culturally, light years away. Hmm. I grew up, the Nyack I grew up in is very different than the Nyack that exists today, um, as the whole world changes, you know. But um, just like for you in New York City, the city of the 70s is so different than the city of today. That's why you can never go back because time has this crazy hammer that just totally puts everything in shambles and builds it up different. And that's the, you know, that's the march of time that we're all just, you know, it's relentless and we have no power. We just have to keep moving with it. But when I was little, Nyack was, uh, full of woods. Now it's much more developed, but I was like a kid that grew up playing in the woods and playing in a brook. And, um, my dad, what my parents were young. They were teenagers when they had me or like, you know, they were 20 and they lived in a house and it was like they were playing house, you know, <laughs> it was just, Oh God. Well, you know what? Remember I, when I, you I, show, remember when you showed me that picture? It, it was Christmas day, wasn't it? Um, I think I saw you Christmas day three years ago, right? Yes. And on Christmas day, you unveiled a photograph of your dad's rock band. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. what was the expression on my face when you showed me that picture? Oh, yeah. You were so thrilled because it was like obviously a 1970s rock band. <laughs> but what did I, did I, did I fall on the floor? What did I do? I mean, I fell on Yeah, the yeah. You were so happy. You were like actually <laughs> jumping up and down. <laughs> yeah. And you were laughing and you were just so thrilled by that picture. Yeah. I don't All really know why. guys with their long hair and their. Velvet tunics and embroidered <laughs> Wait. shirts, you know. They had velvet tunics? What well, my mean? dad in that picture is wearing a velvet tunic that is embroidered from India. Then there's a other 1970s style clothing, shirts with embroidered, uh, what is Peter Green is wearing a... Mm-hmm. a hot air balloons embroidered on his shirt, just embroidery and, mm-hmm. and their long hair mm-hmm. and their, their, they, their, uh, unkempt ease mm-hmm. came across. They were, you know, a 1970s rock band, river yeah. eel, river eel. That's right. So yep, and their bumper stickers were on cars all over the County. It was a black bumper sticker with all mm-hmm. capital letters in uh-huh. lime green river eel. Very simple, but, I really felt like my dad was famous because mm-hmm. his band's bumper sticker was on every car. 
That's fantastic. But it but it was it wasn't all um there was some difficulties too, right? I mean in terms of Yeah, definitely. I mean um, the eighties came quick. My my dad was a cocaine addict and a cocaine dealer, and my house was a party house. And over the years it got uh more and more toxic, mm-hmm. you know. It wasn't really it wasn't the safest environment to grow up in. And mm. I wasn't aware of that at the time. Like it just, it was my home. It was all I ever knew. Right. But when I look back on my childhood, I'm just like me and my brothers. I'm so glad we survived. <laughs> well, that's, know, we, that's, we, that's actually a classically crazy thing. That's actually a classically kind of late seventies, you know, early eighties childhood and away from any, many yes. kids. And yeah. And um, so, but, but you, it's, was was poetry one way of you connecting with that or processing that, or was there? Yeah, absolutely. My whole life, I was writing poems about these things. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Winning awards in elementary school, elementary and middle school. school, high school for my poems that were addressing our time. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And our experience personally, you know, like I write personal poems, but I also, I mean, I really write poems that are larger. Mm-hmm than my I don't consider myself a confessional poet mm-hmm. all my poems aren't about Jane just Jane or whatever like I write about well you do write about big issues and big things yeah. and big ideas and that you write about I mean I understand that a lot of your poetry concerns even the cosmos and science and physics yeah. and yeah. I know that you're into, into into neuroscience and into astronomy yeah. and and I think all those things make their way they make their way into your poems without being, yeah. but, but they never wait. They never make their way into your poems in a technical or a wonky way. It's always, it always serves the aesthetic um, of poetry and serves the artistry. So oh, it's, well, um, thank you that's, for seeing it that way. And, and while we're on that subject, did you want to improvise a, a poem right now with a piano? Uh, sure. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I could do that. Um, so I'm just going to start uh, with something coming out of the piano, and you're going to respond to it. Do you want to give me a, um, a subject? Oh, does that help you to do that? Well, I mean, it makes it interesting, I think, if you can come up with a, like a subject, and then uh-huh. I have something to, you know, then people will be right. like, oh, that's where she got that idea. Like, do you have a question or uh, an object or a few that you want me to incorporate into this poem? Um. Um, I think the subject should come from you, Jane. Okay. We're, we're, um, I think the subject should, should come from you. Uh, maybe something along words or words are your refuge. I don't know. That's, okay. I think that's Laurie's suggestion, but I, but I, um, Hi, Laurie. how are you doing? But I think, uh, you know, don't you think, I mean, I think you should come up with the subject cause you're the one doing the words. I'm just the piano player. I'm just a lowly piano player. You know, I'm just sitting here. You know, but, you know, you did, I think it's just. But would you want me to give you a subject? I, I think like, it's fun for the audience. Oh, the audience has to come up with the subject. Well, I mean, I think it's fun for the audience to hear me improvise something like it's a challenge or whatever. Like, oh, okay. All right. So Lori said that she wants words as my refuge. Okay. What do you want, Mitch? Oh, I, I want I want I want variations on um, on your love poem. 
you okay. know, the pioneer of law, but not the, the so similar subject, but going further in that. But you know, you could you could do a lot. So. Okay. All right. When do you want to start? Now. We're starting now. Okay. Lonely, lonely, lonely. Lonely piano player. How can you still feel alone when you have all those keys? All those strings? That big wooden body. soul, our soul connected to the physical world all around us, the metaphysical world, your mind, it's infinite, yet can hold the concept of infinity in its finite edges of neurons and dendrites. Are you all right? Are you all right? Are you all right? lonesome piano player. Whether we have pianos or not, we are all lonesome piano players, sliding our hands along the keys. Hungry? We are hungry. That's how we know we fly. What do you eat? What serves you? What serve you your meals? Meals are made of. What food for thought are you thinking? What utensils do you use to get it inside of you? Music, words, sports, politics, fashion. All modes of transportation, of emotion, all fodder, middles and libations, creations for us to make ourselves out of, make ourselves up with, make up, make up, make up. Words, words are my refuge, little anchors the boats of my days from getting swept away. Even though I'm always swept away because the sea is sweeping. And it's sure enough as the words anchor you down, they also break you away. I break down into language. And in language, I put myself back together and sail away. That inky sea, that pixel sea, that soundscape. The sound carries you. The sound of the words, the shapes of the letters. Oh, lonely piano player. 
hungry. Hungry. You cannot eat just one thing. Hmm. You'll die. A variety of foods in order to sustain yourself. The fruits, the nectars, drink the water. There's no right or wrong. Be interested and curious. Follow, follow, follow your impulses. Clean up the messes they make and revel in the successes they create. Lonely piano player. You can have everything you want, just not all at once. <laughs> all right, Jane. That's all a really right, good Mitch. poem, Jane. Yeah. I don't know where it came from. It came from you, so. It was Thank completely you. improvised. Wow. Although, you know, all my ideas are things I play with all the time. Mm -hmm. The stuff that I think about. Yeah, I love improvising. So thank you for playing music and giving me an opportunity to mm -hmm. do that. Jane, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of telling people to get your poetry or music? Yeah, or? follow me on Instagram. Look me up on Facebook. Remember my band names, The Icebergs? Um, our first record was called El Dorado, and it's available everywhere streaming. Um, Ohm Slice, mm -hmm. our record conduit. Mm -hmm. They're on Imaginator Records. You can find these things, but definitely like find me on social media. Sign mm -hmm. up for my mailing list. I have this really cool newsletter. Right, Mitch? You get it. Yes. So my newsletter comes out like once or twice a month, and... Um, you know, email me, jane at janelacroix.com, okay. or look up my website that's out of date. Uh, <laughs> I know my that, website I know is like 10 years old, but I just like don't know how to update it and need help. But you can sign up for my mailing list there. I, I, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you always mention in your performances that you like getting mail from people. Yes. That's one of your, that's one of your themes is you always say, well, send me a letter or a mail. Yeah, yeah. And I that's, mean, I that's sort of connected to uh, how to be a pioneer for love, right? Yeah, totally. Write all the love letters you can. Mm -hmm. seduce, 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 and be seduced. Conduct right. the electricity that is the life pulse. Because we're all going to die. Before we die, we can love. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. Write all the love letters you can. Let yourself fall in love. Hmm. Don't say no to it. Just let all the love feed the other love. Reject hmm. possessiveness. Try and try. Hmm. Reject jealousy. Yeah, jealousy, I feel like, is the hardest emotion. It, it's like the, the one that I can't find the good part of. Like, huh. why do you have it? It's so destructive. It's mm. ruinous. It's like at the root of everything bad. And what good comes from jealousy? Like, mm. all the other emotions have these bright sides. But jealousy is just absolutely destructive. It's terrible. Huh. 
Well, I'm, I'm far from, from an expert on the emotions. I can tell you sure. that. I'm not, I'm not, that is not, you know, not something That's that not I... That's not your forte. It's not my forte. Um, I do feel things very deeply, but, I, but the thing about me, I guess, is that I don't, all, I don't act and live upon those things I ex- feel or experience necessarily. In other words, right. that's not a guide to action for me. They're, they're, right. more, they're more or less passing states. Yes. That I, I um, and I, but, I, mm-hmm. but, I, but, I, but I imagine yeah. if you're a person that, ha- that your internal states and feelings are like what you just expressed about wanting to save the world or, or solve the problem of uh, ecology or all these things that you want to act upon it, that's a, that's a good reason to act upon. You know, that's, it depends on what the internal states are. You know, that's a good, so you sounds like you, you have some, um, your activism comes out of that, which is, you know, yeah, which is yeah. great. Yeah. And in, in the way that I live, like mm-hmm. my life is a political act. Like I, I, I've done things very unconventionally. Um, all my children were born at home, mm-hmm. totally natural. And I'm so proud of that. Mm-hmm. They, I used cloth diapers, um, you know, these, these kind of things are like so natural and basic and actually the way things have always been done, but are seen as radical now. And I, I it's just very interesting to me that, that, you know, and people are always like, Oh, you're so brave to have a home birth. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. And it's actually quite insulting. No, it would actually be braver for a person like me to give birth in a hospital because I don't <laughs> trust you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, have you done any research? Do you know at giving birth in a hospital how, how it's like actually way worse than get, you know, whatever. But everyone has their own needs, you know, when mm. you have to be comfortable. I am not comfortable in hospitals. That was not a place for me to give birth. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I, I did, I, I, it was like, to me, my birth experience was so amazing. And women, I feel like are, their birth experiences are, are like not valued. All that matters is if the baby's healthy. You know, and it's just like always diminishing the experience of birth. And uh, it's just, it can be this powerful thing that just connects you to the world mm-hmm. of history of, you know, what women have been doing. And it's, it's like, it's just, it's something I'm really into. I just totally encourage women to have home births, to take, to take this experience of birth and not be afraid of it and let it empower you. And it's just such an awesome thing. Well, Jane, I, I love that you, you, you've uh, come on my show and, and talked about all these ideas, which are considerable in breadth and depth and depth. And I'm also above all love collaborating with you. I like playing behind your poetry or I should say playing piano with the poetry and behind it and around it and over it and on top of it and underneath it. Yeah, um, the it's conversation. Really, yeah, the conversation. And, of course, I hate to say goodbye, but as I always say at the end of shows, I acknowledge that all things come to an end, um, at least on this earthly plane they do. Um, yeah. And um, I'm going to say thank you, Jane LaCroix, for being on Journey of Anesthete. Thank uh, you, Mitch. Thank you for having me. And um, I'm going to say goodbye. Thank you. Thank you, Mitch. Bye-bye. Bye.